Today, it's the rise of the Guardians, the Guardians of the Galaxy. Long before James Gunn turned them into a blockbuster tentpole franchise, the Guardians were without a home. They had no series of their own despite knocking around the Marvel Universe for decades. Then in 1990, through the genius of one man, Jim Valentino brought them status and success in publishing that they had never experienced before or since. And I was fortunate enough to have a front seat for all of it. We share how they went from dormant to dominant, outselling notable comic book franchises like Iron Man, The Avengers, Captain America, and Green Lantern. The secrets of the rebirth of the Guardians of the Galaxy on an all-new episode of Observations. Hey everybody and welcome to another edition of Observations. I am your host, Rob Liefeld, and Observations is a podcast that's been running about four years come, come the spring, and we talk about comic books, and we talk about the ways that comic books have advanced on all these platforms through, through my own eyes, through my own childhood. I started picking up comic books, 1974, 1975, all the little local uh, liquor stores, grocery stores, you know, mini marts, a lot, lot, lot of mini marts. Mini markets like 7 Eleven. There was one called Stop and Go. There was one called U Totem. The thing that united all of these different uh, outlets was, was their access to comic books, spinner racks, shelves filled with comic books that were cheap that kids like myself could buy four for a dollar. And this started my lifelong obsession, which turned into a career which hasn't gone uh, so bad. I, I, I'm really excited to, to be. In my 39th calendar year, you start counting 1986 on your fingers, 86, 87, 88. You, when you hit 24, 2024, you are at 39 calendar years of actually working, uh, being published in the comic book world, in the comic book business. And boy, have I seen crazy stuff from when I was seven years old, really starting to, to feel the fever build and buy comic books to these giant blockbusters. And, and trust me, in 1978, when I was... 11 years old, 11 years old when, uh, 10 or 11, when Superman, the movie was released, that was the comic book superhero event to end all comic book superhero events. And of course, then you get to, and we're going to touch on a little of this in today's podcast because this, this, this time overlaps what we're going to discuss when 1989's Batman came out, that may have and still still kind of holds the record for the most kind of culture shifting uh just just landscape altering movie release 1989's Batman huge massive and 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 when i was you know thinking of 1989 Batman i'm thinking of 1989's Taylor Swift album that my daughter listens to all the time and has always you know uh loved a lot a lot of people's favorite Taylor Swift album and and i'm like she was born when batman was released it kind of when, when i get those kind of pop culture references it, it's it's great for me to to uh to be able to kind of then gauge and i'll always now reference okay taylor swift born uh when 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 uh when batman came out right so comic books is the theme i've made them i've published them i write them i draw them thousands upon thousands of pages 
have I created uh, in in the interest of making comic books? And I mean, I I, I could possibly be be touching the millions of significant paper, like like a- absolute pages that I have consumed since I was seven years old in 1974. And again, I, I can tell you that when Lou Ferrigno's Hulk and CBS had their uh, that their Spider-Man TV show on with, with, with the kid from Sound of Music, he'll always be the kid to Sound of Music. Those were big deals, big deals, newspaper ads, television promos. Oh my gosh, the, my comic books that I'm grabbing off the spinner rack are coming to television. And of course, then they're going to make this giant march towards these big budget, uh, you know, screen experiences at, at, at my movie theaters. And look, I was also, as so many of you are, I was a cinephile, man. I was, I was a, a movie buff, movie addict growing up. And I, and I lived on weekends, you know, and then later in my college years and years, high school weekends, weeknights, late nights at the movie theaters. So I watched comics uh, just explode. And, and what I've learned over time is that every single person's very first episode or very first issue of a comic needs to function as some sort of uh, introduction. I've gone over to you. I've gone over with you many times here. The tenets that 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 one of my favorite uh, editor in chiefs, his period that he uh, guided Marvel Comics, Jim Shooter, great name, Jim Shooter. He had uh, very very specific ways that he wanted you to open every Marvel comic. He wanted the characters to be using their powers in the first seven pages, so you, the reader, the listener, me, we would know what was that character capable of doing i'm going to see cap throw his shield i'm going to see him you know use the shield to 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 fend off some sort of incoming fire uh you know firepower uh uh, gunfire whatever laser fire it's that kind of stuff show spider-man walking on a wall spinning a web swinging and so with this podcast right now i've got i feel like i have to tell you because so many uh new listeners are joining us and we could not be more thrilled to have you on board. When I say we, my 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 engineer, producer, uh, the guy that makes the sound way better than it's ever been, uh, his name is Reed. So there is a we attached to this. He gets all my, uh, you know, all my attachments, my emails, slams this show together, makes it so great. Uh, we are so excited because the new year, uh, the 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 alpha episode broke every single uh, one day listening. Like like uh, you know when you're gone. For, for for the better part of, of of seven or eight weeks as I was I think it was it was just around uh, over seven weeks you wonder God, you know it, it, it is it has the show has the show passed passed by so you know you guys came back you roared back and and this last week last the last week was our largest audience our biggest week we've ever had and that is a gift that you give to me and that is why I share it with you that is the gift that you have given to this show. And I am so, so very appreciative. But before we get into today's topic, and, and it is going to be a great one, I am so excited to share this with you. This is absolutely going to function as, as a love letter for this incredible talent and, and for really the accomplishments that, that, that he put forth. And he absolutely put forth these tremendous accomplishments. And I'm going to tell you how we're going to get into it is last week, I don't know about many of you, but, but when I wake up, and this is what happened last week. When I wake up, okay, the phone is right there. Okay, you grab it off off the nightstand. 
maybe it <laughs> maybe it fell asleep and it's actually next to you on the bed, right? Uh, and do, do I go to one of three places. I go to Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And and to be honest, Twitter is the last place I go because I realize, oh crap, I haven't checked my Twitter. I'm I'm looking at pictures on Instagram or I'm looking at everyone's different posts. And boy, Facebook, man, there's a lot of entertainment to be had. People just want to wake up and share crazy shit with us, crazy ideas. And sometimes I'm like, I don't, I don't need to hear this. I, I, like, why am I, like, what are you doing? I don't want the fight with your girlfriend. Um, I don't, I don't want to hear about that. Like, like some, some, not everything should be shared. Right. And, and I do, I do really go by that, that motto. Not, not everything, especially in the personal stuff. Anyway, a uh, little, little side commentary, but I'm, I'm on Facebook and, and Jim Valentino, who does not. So here's the irony. He, he shared something personal and this is why I'm doing this. He shared that he had been, uh, you know, got a cough and had been, been to the hospital, didn't feel well, thought maybe it was COVID, was told he had pneumonia. And I went, shit, I have not been up to visit Jim and it is, it is something I need to do in the next several weeks. And I, I just immediately, Mike was like, oh my gosh, pneumonia. And, and, and then Jim kind of uh, has tried to settle everybody down saying, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And he had some great, uh, some great responses. Even Joy, my wife, because, you know, she loves Jim. She, 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 they're, they're, they're friends on Facebook. She, she, I, I saw that she had commented, get well, you know, feel better. Um, you know, I, I think it was cause for alarm because Jim Valentino is, and Jim, I love you, you know this. I am also not uh, uh, that what, what I'm about to proclaim. You are no spring chicken. And, and neither am I. Spring chicken, old man talk for you're not a young guy, okay? And I'm not a young guy. And, and, and Jim is, in fact, 71 years old. He has been kicking ass for a very, very, very long time. And the bottom line is, I, I became concerned. And again, you know, wow, you know, it, it, w- w- I'm 56 years old. I'm not getting any younger myself. I'm marching towards 57 as I uh, share this with you. And, and part of what makes uh, some of my stories a little richer is the experience that I can put behind them and the dramatic ways that I've watched the comic book industry change. And one of the best experiences I've ever had in the comic book industry is alongside Jim Valentino when we shared a studio together. And what I was able to do at that studio was witness history. I witnessed a man take a property that was dead, dormant, not active, had never had their own title, and I am speaking of the Guardians of the Galaxy, the, the, the franchise that you know as this giant, global, mega, successful film franchise uh, that, 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 that all due to James Gunn, all due. He deserves every accolade for making the Guardians, uh, putting that very personal uh, piece of his creative personality into making that franchise so dominant and so amazing and, 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 and a franchise that we all love so very much. We kind of forget that it, it actually did do extremely well in, in, the, in the past summer, 2023, the final Guardians installment. Uh, I think people got hung up on a billion. I think a billion, again, it, and, and part of it is Marvel set their, their own benchmark. And, and I was there at those D23 presentations when Iger and Feige would get up and another billion, another billion. And, they, and, and I've shared over... Many different podcasts here, how that pressure for everyone else to match their success, Warners, Fox, Sony, 
Marvel knew what they were doing. They were squeezing. You need to throw five touchdowns today or you're not a good quarterback or you need to shoot 10 three-pointers. These are the, the, in sports, you know, analogy, this is the kind of pressure they were putting on other teams. We are so successful and we're just becoming more and more successful and they were. And 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 I think the pandemic is is possibly what knocked everything off the keister, and 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 you know they're 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 now in an attempt to 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 reshape. But Guardians Three was their biggest success story of 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 the last year, and it did extremely well. I want to say it made in the eight hundred millions. Like I said, I I know it 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 didn't do the billion mark, but again that that is a giant number. Uh, Guardians. Did a huge, tremendous number. And Guardians of the Galaxy, which you may have heard of for the first time when you went and saw it in 2014, really the spark that was lit was the spark that Jim Valentino gave it when he successfully convinced Marvel to do a Guardians of the Galaxy comic book for them. And like I said, I, I, and you're going to hear today, I was on the side just watching history unfold. I had met Jim Valentino. I need to give you an insight into Jim Valentino first. Uh, so that you really understand, Jim Valentino, uh, I, 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 I would say that he, uh, two, two words, relentless won't be denied. Relentless won't be denied. Two great, two great terms if you're an artist and, 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 and you are trying to make it and trying to punch through. And when I met Jim around 1986, it was, it was great to finally, you know, meet the guy who had been entertaining me for years because he had a book in the earlier 80s called Normal Man, which is the, it, 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 it's the inverse of Superman. A, a normal person is, is, is rocketed and landed, a baby lands on a planet where every single person has superpowers. And, and so it's, it's instead of Clark Kent, super godlike being landing on a planet of normal folks, it was flipped. A normal man walked through so many genres and tropes and the history of the form. And, and Jim is such a brilliant writer. And, and if you have never experienced Normal Man, which I would file under humor, it would be filed under humorous because it's a funny comic and it's drawn funny. And Jim had a very distinct comedic kind of cartoony style. And part of trans- completely transforming that style into what you got on Guardians of the Galaxy is, is one of the absolute most impressive aspects of all of this. And we're going to touch on that and we're going to, we're going to expand on that. But when I met Jim, he wanted to transition. He had also been doing uh, an adaptation of a, of a bunch of books called um, Myth Adventures. And, and a buddy of mine who I had come up with here in the local um, Southern California comic book scene was a guy who you all know as Art to Bear. You've seen his work on Black and White, on Cable, on Superman, on X-Men. Uh, he's inked over me many times. Art's tremendously talented. I got to know him on the convention circuit as a teenager. He's slightly older than me. I'm not, I'm not sure how much, but I, but I looked up to him. That's why I give the ages. I just remember being young and so excited that this really talented guy lived in Orange County. He lived in Huntington Beach at the time. I, I, I went down and visited Art at his cool um, apartment in Huntington Beach. I watched him uh, do a Teen Titans spotlight issue with, with Aqualad. I had not yet punched through, but, but he, he, he was already, you know, hired in the biz as an inker, as a penciler. And he had been inking, uh, some stuff for Jim Valentino. And so, so I met Jim and then we had some mutual friends and for whatever reason we sparked 
for whatever reason we sparked. That there's an inter- that there there's a there's an interview in Back Issue magazine that celebrates the Guardians of the Galaxy, and it, and it has this great interview with Jim Valentino. And they asked me to participate. This this came out in 2020, and they asked me to participate in the interview. And I, I was reading my own answers, and I'll share some of those later on. I was reading some of my own answers. And I said, Jim and I had good energy from the start. And that's it. We had great energy. Jim is witty. He is sharp. Uh, he's ridiculously, ridiculously smart, studied. And I just knew uh, immediately how fond I was of his personality and, and his just kind of badass outlook on stuff. And I had uh, been just starting to do my very first comic book work when we started to spend more time with each other. And so I was picking his brain all the time when I did like, I, I did a bonus book that was, it was called bonus book. That, that was like my, my big DC assignment, the bonus book in warlord and then a secret origin story, which led to me doing Hawk and dove. And by that time I'm spending a lot of time with Jim, uh, going out at least once a week, uh, hanging out at his house. One of the big deals, one of the big deals that, that, that bonded Jim and myself and I can get to this later, I can get to this now, but it's, 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 it's one of those like memories is, look, the press for the new Star Trek show had been, you know, coming out and the new Star Trek show was Next Generation. They were going to do a new Star Trek sh- show for the first time ever. And, and, and obviously the, 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 uh, the Star Trek motion pictures had done extremely well. And in, and in uh, you know, 80, 85, 86, they were having their biggest success. With the voyage home, the the one where they go back in time, it's kind of back to the futury with the whales. It's great, and it really connected with audiences, gave them the biggest you know biggest exposure, and so they were an expand Star Trek. And a lot of what bonds, what I'm going to share with you, I, I I'll, I'll be real obvious. Jim's love of Star Trek is evident in his work in Guardians. It is it is some of what really drove I think some of his his incredible vision. For again, this this uh, this property that had never had its own series and had never been successful, and we'll get to the Guardians of the Galaxy characters in a minute, and how often they bounced around the Marvel universe with with very limited success. But Jim uh, invited me over because they're you know oh my gosh they're making this new show, and then finally it's premiering the next generation. We watched the casting, and I just will never forget you know the premiere of Star Trek: The Next Generation watching it you know, on Jim Valentino's couch with his entire family. Because Jim uh, married Diane Valentino. She had her three, she had her three uh, kids from a previous marriage. And then they had two of the of, of children that they had, you know, had together. So when I'm going over there, when I am going over to the Valentino home, I mean, it's packed. There's seven people, okay? We, we, got, we got Jim's five children with Diane. And, and, and then Jim and Diane and then me, and we were packed together watching the debut, uh, you know, of, 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 of the very first episode, which I, I think is encounter, is it called encounter at Farpoint? But it's, 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 was the debut. It was a big deal. And afterwards, you know, we debuted it. It may have been a 90 minute or a two hour premiere. Uh, it, it was, it, it did go long. It was extended. It was a big deal in the culture. And so, so, I mean, this is 1987. I'm sitting over there on the couch. I'm so excited. I'm with another fellow comic book fan, nerd, sci-fi enthusiast. It was, it was just such a great memory. And, and that would really 
all of the times that we were hanging out would lay the groundwork for what was coming when we would start sharing the studio together and I would watch Guardians of the Galaxy come together, be born, and launch as a hit. To, to really appreciate and understand what Jim accomplished with Guardians of the Galaxy, you got to go back and, and kind of get, get, get a kind of get an understanding and a basis of what had happened with the Guardians of the Galaxy and who they were to the comic book community prior to Jim, you know, launching this book in, in 1989. And uh, the great part was kids my age remember the Guardians coming out in a, in the, there was a book called uh, Marvel Presents. Marvel had a ton of these books, Marvel Spotlight, Marvel Premiere. Marvel Presents, Marvel Spectacular, Marvel 2-in-1, Marvel Team. They loved Marvel in the title. Marvel Presents launched with two issues of a character called Bloodstone, who I also have a giant affinity for, but by issue 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12, Marvel Presents became the, the, the showcase for the Guardians of the Galaxy. And the talents that would bring this to you I, I, were, were, were Al Milgram, Steve Gerber, Howard Chaikin, uh, they got their up at bat. They, they, they got their swing. And Marvel Presents was one of those books that I was encountering as I was exiting uh, the barbershop. Because I, I always talk to you about how um, Fred the Barber allowed me to trade my Richie Rich and my Caspers for that Fantastic Four. You know, uh, incredible Fantastic Four 147 with Namor, you know, jumping out of the ocean to battle Thing and, uh, and Johnny Storm. And in fact, this entire era, because I think that Fantastic Four was incredibly imaginative. I did a what's called a Rob Topsy. And if this is your first time jumping on the, or, or you're looking at listening to the, 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 these episodes now in this library in 2023, just last year that I introduced the Rob Topsies where I go over a body of work. I recommend anything that has a Rob Topsy on it. It's a, it's a much deeper dive, but that entire fantastic four seventies era is, it was, was worth like a, an, 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 a deep dive. And I did it. And, and, and again, during this time, uh, I'm getting turned on to Marvel and DC comics through the barbershop who always had a giant stack of comic books for kids to read through while they waited and while he cut their hair. Well, I kept going back after that big giant trade because now I, I understood, you know, how much I loved Marvel comics and I was sneaking off to the liquor store, the 7-Eleven, all the markets that I mentioned earlier, and I was getting comic books. But when I would go back and get haircuts, some of the stuff in the, in, in the pile was these Marvel presents with Guardians of the Galaxy. And I'm like, wow, these characters are cool. They look cool. Martin X. Yondu, Starhawk, you know, Charlie 27. Uh, I, I dug these characters. They were fantastic. And they were being featured in Marvel 2 and 1, teaming up with the thing. They were in Defenders uh, stories. I think there was a, a race called the Badoon, B A D O O N, uh, a big extended, you know, Defenders Guardians of the Galaxy story. But they were probably most impactful and most remembered to kids my age for the, their, their part in this giant. Uh, Avengers year-long, little, little more than a year, cosmic saga that was like the Dark Phoenix saga for Avengers fans. It was called uh, the Korvac saga, and for years, it was the most exciting. I, I would put it up as a top three Avengers storyline, Avengers adventure of all time. It riveted uh, kids my age. We all remember learning who Korvac was. One of the Avengers going to realize it's Korvac behind everything. I mean, it, it, it was great, but Korvac was a threat that the Guardians had faced in, an, in a Thor annual, which they would then transfer into this Avengers storyline. Jim Shooter himself wrote it. Uh, the reason it's so beloved is not just because of Jim's great story. George Perez, giant uh, you know, icon of comics, this is his celebrated first run. The first run of George is what made George 
the legend that he is. And the Korvac saga, he did three quarters, 70% of it was magnificent. It was great. And it heavily featured the Guardians of the Galaxy. But following that, other than other kind of guest appearances, they didn't really have a spotlight. They didn't really have a focus. They couldn't generate enough dedicated support to warrant uh, a, a, you know, their own comic book. What Marvel was doing at the time when Jim was going to pitch Guardians of the Galaxy. And Jim had uh, one, one of, the, one of the, the things that was going on during this time and what brought the Guardians to the fore is that they were kind of a, a, a franchise that, that, that hadn't taken off, that hadn't gotten, you know, gotten the boost, hadn't been given their shot again. And Jim was looking for something you know, to share with Marvel that, hey, I can make this work for you. Jim had been drawing a number of different uh, what-if issues and, and showing his talent and showing the incredible uh, transformation that he had done with his own comic book work from the normal man stuff and myth adventures to great, you know, uh, brawny, action-packed superhero comic books that the, in, in this is this is something that maybe you haven't heard along in, in a long time in the mighty Marvel manner that used to be a banner on some your your heroes in the mighty Marvel you knew when it said mighty Marvel banner that you were in for a treat Jim had started this process by doing a number of different sample pages and if I had packages going in to DC or Marvel at the time I'd stuff them in. And I'm going to tell you something. One of the great things about telling you this story, and Jim won't mind me telling this, and he knows because it was uncomfortable. So, so I'm sending back then FedEx is the way everything. DC had a FedEx account. Marvel had a FedEx account. If you went there, you got their FedEx number to send to them. Uh, generally, they wanted you to do two days. They didn't want you to do it more than once a week. I mean, there was a lot of, a lot of different uh, procedures to get that account number. But if I'm sending six seven, eight Hawk and Dove pages to DC Comics, throwing four 11 by 17, you know, regular paper uh, Xeroxes and, and eight and a half by 11s as well. That's not going to change the weight. It's not going to cost the company any more money. And Jim was asking, could you send my samples to your editor at the time, Mike Carlin on Hawk and Dove? And I've, I've detailed what an absolute, um, let, let's go, monster creep this guy was and how he treated me in the Hawk and Dove episode. Uh, he could not, the way that he conducted himself, I've said this, in the 80s, he would not be allowed to work in this environment today the way that he berated people. And not just myself. I, uh, there are many people with their Mike Carlin stories, but one of the real gems was in the middle of, I think, Hawk and Dove 3. I sent in these sample pages that Jim Valentino had done. Again, 11 by 17 let's call it flimsy, you know, copy paper. He had, Jim had taken Metamorpho, a character that had been around since the Silver Age of DC Comics, and he had done this really great, like, four-page sequence with Metamorpho. And it was incredibly well-drawn. Jim was really showing his chops, his artistic chops. The faces were great, the figures. And I think this was maybe the second batch of samples that I had sent in on Jim's behalf. And I got... A phone call from one Mr. Mike Carlin. Hey, got your pages. Look good, but I, I want to make something clear. I don't want to open another box and have any Jim, Jim Valentino samples come out of it. Are we clear? Do you understand me? That wouldn't be good for you. And I was like, are, are you kidding me? He's like, I don't want to see him. I'm not a fan. I, I don't want to see that stuff. Of course, he's my boss. And I get the picture. 
And unfortunately, when Jim asked to send them again, I said, Jim, I got, I got reamed out for, for including other people's samples. I did not put the other kind of nasty commentary because that would have hurt his feelings. And Jim was already on edge as, as it was because the other thing is Jim and I are separated by uh, a good 16 years. Uh, we, we are 16, 15 years, depending on where the calendar falls. So when we're hanging out, I'm 22, you know, he's 39, uh, pretty sure it's 17 years, but it's, it's, it's in that range. So, so it's, which is why I loved hanging around from him, but he was feeling the clock ticking. I saw another artist talk about ageism on Facebook, uh, just this last week and how he feels that he's having to overcome it, uh, given that his advanced age and he, he always had, you know, hard times for other circumstances, but now he feels like he's got ageism working against you. And I'm going to tell you right now, Jim felt he knew I'm not, you know, the, the, the hot young thing walking in with his fresh portfolio. I'm an older guy, but he always felt that, that, that his accomplishments would speak to his ability to meet a deadline and be a professional and the fact that he'd been around the business. But these are the kind of hurdles you got to clear. Everybody's got a different set of hurdles that they have to clear in this business. And that was Jim's at that time was trying to get somebody to give him a break. Well, thankfully, over at, uh, at Marvel, they saw the potential that others failed to see. And, they, and they, they, they signed on, and Jim started doing filling issues. And some of them are absolutely great. I don't, I don't have them in front of me. Uh, there was a what if as, with the X-Men and the Asgardian Wars. He, he, did, he did so many really great uh, what if issues, which was you know, getting him on the Marvel payroll, getting him in circulation, having his work circulated. He's in the building. They know he's talented. What can they give him? What can they do you know, with him? And what, what Marvel was doing at this time was every year they were trying, this is the second year of them launching uh, six books. One, I think in, in many cases, you know, one book a month for a six-month period or staggered out every six weeks. And you know, this is how John Byrne's She-Hulk was relaunched. This is how the Mark Tixiera Ghost Rider came to be and they would bundle them together and show you in in-house ads like these are our upcoming new titles get excited about these because marvel has a vast amazing library as you found out if you've just been a film fan as they keep picking up stuff uh picking out maybe characters that that weren't household names for you and sharing them with you jim and marvel were doing the same thing marvel was looking like what can we get what what is something that we can put forth that 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 will connect with folks and, and again, this is how you also got Darkhawk and Sleepwalker. It was, it was this exact initiative. And Jim was intent on, on, on being part of one of those launches and finding a way that, that, that he could launch a new book with Marvel and, and find his path, find his, his way. We had decided to get a uh, studio together in 1988. We got, our, we got the studio in the summer of 88. And we had about a year and a half there. To get, maybe the lease was two years. I continued to, 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 to pay through my two years, but I didn't stay there a complete two years. And I go over it in this interview in Back Issue Magazine, but I, I mean, it's, it's, it's consistent with just how things were. Eventually, the time of the commute was eating into my ability to, to, to get the work done as I was taking on more and more work. But let me go to the beginning. When we found this spot, this office on Brookhurst in Garden Grove, because Jim lived in Garden Grove and I lived uh, kind of border of Anaheim and Fullerton. And 
side streets or freeway, this could not be accessed under 30, 35 minutes, depending on the time of day. I would generally go to the studio 10, 30, 11 ish. Jim would get there or already be there. And I would sometimes, you know, stay there till eight, nine, 10, however late. We got this great, uh, on the bottom floor, small office complex, you know, two story, maybe, maybe eight offices total. And when it became open and we, we, we saw it and we had looked at a number of different offices and a couple of them really intrigued us, but maybe they saw Jim and I, and they said, who are these scruffy dudes? Um, this is something we encountered at Extreme Studios and each and every person sidebar here at Extreme Studios will be able to tell you with, with complete, just the, 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 everyone will tell you the same story. I want, I want to use the word that this, this story has tremendous integrity that when we came in our flip-flops and our Bermuda shorts and our tank tops to go into the lavish office building on there on Catella that overlooked that, that we could look into the angel stadium was because it was right behind us. Uh, this was an office building of lawyers, of accountants, of lawyers and accountants, <laughs> really posh, beautiful new building. We basically had the whole floor image comics ended up taking like the final, like 15% of the, of, of, of that area. But we had like, well, I'm, I'm going to say we had 80% of, I think the 10th floor. And when we got in the elevator, when Norm Ratman and Danny Mickey and Rob Liefeld and Tim Townsend and Dan Panosian and Eric Stevenson, and I can go on and on, Kiko Taganashi, baby, we made people nervous. We looked like, you know, hippies, rock and rollers, metalheads, you know, but we were not dressed in suits, ties, uh, you know, and some of these other people had really nice suits and ties. And, and the, the plight of the artist is the judgment of the artist. I'm not sure if that's going on in this day and age. I haven't rented space in over two decades, but a couple of the places that Jim and I went to when we were looking to get our studio, they, they gave us the up and down, they, the, the same thing. Like these guys look suspect. So we were just happy to get the office that we did get. And, and we, we totally dug it and it had a front room and a back room. And uh, Jim, Jim picked first. He wanted that front room. It looked out over onto the street. There was a middle room a middle room inside. So it was one big giant room. And, and, and the front section was really more left space. And then my back section was more back right. It, it was almost like a Z. And in the middle was this enclosed office that had its own door. And there was, we put couches in there and the TV. And that was kind of like, we called it the quiet room. If Jim needed to go right, he, he went into the quiet room. And, uh, but we, we, there was no wall between the front and the, and the back section. There was just a walkway. And so we could see and hear each other. And we often would occupy space near each other. And like, I would position myself, my chair, my desk, my beanbag, you know, near where he was drawing at his table. Jim, uh, more than, more so than I would, 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 would draw over a drawing board, which is, which is something I I've, I've expressed before. I am mostly a lap board guy, but I did do a lot of stuff on the desk at that time. During this time, I am in my Marvel phase doing issues of X-Men, X-Factor, the two uh, annuals that, that tied in with Atlantis Attacks. I did a New Mutants annual, did a Spider-Man annual, and we did the What If. I think it's What If number seven. What if Wolverine was an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. 
that people seem to really dig and respond well to. That was a collaboration between Jim and myself while we were there. We did that together and watched that happen. So all total, I would say, because I was counting it out before I, before I came on, probably I did 160 pages while, while it, it, during that space, during that year and a half. I got the New Mutants while we were there. I started on 86, but by the time I'm doing issue 87, I have my own place, my own studio, which was much closer to my, my house. Again, 30, 35 minutes each way, no matter, no matter when, day or night, because again, I can bypass the traffic. So it wasn't a traffic, it was just a distance issue. But man, I loved it. I loved it when we got it together. And j- j- this studio space was much closer to Jim. It was a five-minute commute from his house, literally. He could get there five minutes flat, very close to his family. Again, he had five kids, married, the whole, the whole deal. I'm the young 20-something bachelor guy. I can absolutely do that drive. I can absolutely go that distance. I did it with a giant smile on my face every day because I knew I would get to hang out and talk comic books and make comic books with Jim Valentino. And, and let me tell you something. We made some really, really fun, really great comics. There were some really seminal events for both of us that occurred in that, shoot, in that studio that we shared. And again, this, this runs till about the end of 1989. I, I understand, to be clear, Guardians of the Galaxy doesn't come out until April of 1990. But everything that was going into this is, is happening in 90. And most importantly is a convention that we both attended, WonderCon, in, in 1989, which is in Oakland. And WonderCon is where I got hired, okay? It, it, the very first WonderCon is where I got hired by Marvel in, in 87. I had been doing independent work for Megaton, for Malibu, for Dark Horse, but I was big time boom. In, in, in 87 at WonderCon. So it held a, a sweet space, a sweet place, uh, you know, for, 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 for at least for me, because that show is what kicked off my, you know, my entrance into the big time out from the independents, which were great. I, I was getting paid. I was making comics. My stuff was seeing print. But the Marvel DC stuff starts happening at the first WonderCon. So in 1989, we are going to WonderCon, and here's the great, pl- the, 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 the really fun part is in this back issue magazine where Jim talks about uh, that he pitched Guardians of the Galaxy along with a couple of other projects to Tom DeFalco at Oakland at, at, at this WonderCon. That's 1989. That's spring of 89. That's what sets all this in motion. Tom DeFalco was then asked about it in that same back issue magazine, which, which focuses on the Guardians of the Galaxy. And, and for those of you, because I know you're going to want to know, it's, it's, it's back issue magazine number 118. It's the Guardians of the Galaxy issue. as a Jim Valentino cover. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. I spoke to this magazine, like I said, around 2020, and Tom DeFalco weighs in here, and he says, I don't remember this. I wouldn't have had time. I don't, I don't you know know when I would have been the guy to approve this, you know, so, so he kind of puts into dispute that this happened, you know, at, at, at a WonderCon. And I'm laughing here because neither Jim nor Tom DeFalco can, can, can identify this. And I can, I can 100% fill in the blanks here because neither of them are mentioning the baseball game that we attended to that trapped us together for about five, six hours. And, and, and which we were, we were invited. Okay. You know, I'm, I'm 
I like baseball, but I don't normally go to baseball games. They're long and I have work to do. And especially again, back during that period, but it's on page, uh, I think (laughs) uh, it's on page 47 of uh, Back Issue Magazine number 119. The interviewer asks uh, Valentino and he says, the interviewer, uh, who is William Colosimo, Colosimo, if I mispronounced, I apologize. Uh, it says, Jim and Rob Liefeld gave you and Mark Grunwald several pitches at WonderCon. Do you have any recollection of how that went down? He says, there is no way I would have reviewed pitches at WonderCon. Combo conventions are way too chaotic. In those days, when we went to combo conventions, we'd start working with the breakfast meetings and then end at about 10 or 11 o'clock. Afterwards, there weren't enough brain cells to read any pitches. Uh, he goes, that's why I go to so few comm conventions at this time. So, and Jim Valentino says he doesn't remember the specifics. He just knows it was that WonderCon. I'm going to tell you right now, Tom DeFalco invited Jim and I to go to an Oakland A's baseball game with him. And we said yes. And there was another uh, very nice lady who accompanied us, but we took off from the hotel. We went to the game and then we had Italian food afterwards. And I remember, because I started getting a headache, and this woman that was with Tom, who was an associate, she instructed me on on pressure points and how to relieve the pain in my headache, the headache that I'm having in 1989. But uh, it, it, it's all very clear to me, because she's like, oh, it's pressure points. And she's, she's like, I'm a, I'm a masseuse. I'm a, she's a very nice lady, very funny. And uh, we all sat together watching a baseball game for the duration of that as well as the taxi ride there and then the dinner afterwards. And I am telling you, Tom DeFalco and Jim Valentino, that's where this Guardians of the Galaxy stuff went down. I'm going to tell you right now. And Tom did spark to it. He says that he, he had some of his own kind of ideas for this, but he says in this interview that he really sparked to, uh, to, 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 to Jim's approach uh, <clears throat> because... He had he, he he said that he kind of um, had had basically his own idea of how far in the future that this would take place, but that hearing Jim's take, he sparked to it and realigned his take with what he would you know what what he could see as Jim's take of the Guardians of the Galaxy. And let me tell you something: the the the, the turning point for all this was Jim's take. Jim knowing that this could be a possibility hunkered down and he created this quest for captain america's shield as if it was excalibur or the holy grail or a combination of the two uh excalibur giving it that that it was a weapon the fact that it had been lost gives it the grail status and putting it in this you know uh, far-flung future with the guardians of the galaxy in pursuit of this and making vance astro uh uh, you know, slight, slightly younger. It just all, it just all absolutely clicked. And making Guardians of the Galaxy kind of like this uh, futuristic, this tour of future Marvel with all of these infinite possibilities. I can't think of anybody who was better suited than for this than Jim. And Jim attacked this conceptually. Now, Tom also mentions that we had been giving him this young Avengers proposal. I cannot underscore the excitement and enthusiasm that Jim and I had for this. We felt like we had a giant winner. I'm sure that I have covered 
Young Avengers somewhere in my previous podcasts. And if necessary, I can do another one, kind of bring you up to date. But we had created a, we had heard from the Marvel, you know, chatter that they wanted to do a, a Young Avengers book. My complete and utter enthusiasm for this was because of depicting Namorita in the New Mutants annual that I did for Atlantis Attacks. And I so loved drawing Namorita. I fell in love with depicting her. And I was like, oh my, she's such a powerful character. She's so cool. She's great looking. She's great. Uh, just, just her powers, her attitude, kind of de- more devil may care, cousin to Prince Namor, Submariner. I mean, then Nova, then Speedball. I mean, Speedball, you've got the Ditko you know, component, the guy that created Spider-Man and his character now for Marvel Speedball. And then we just built it out. And we added new characters, some of which you saw in Shadowhawk, some of which you saw in Youngblood, some of which you saw in New Mutants, Guardians of the Galaxy. It was loaded. It was packed. And it was, it was really, uh, we, we, we sat and would had, have discussions after discussions about how to do this. Now, why that did not happen is because Mark Grunewald, and this is the great, this is like the best counsel I ever got. I didn't like hearing it at the time because suddenly I was enamored with this new shiny object and I was a little bit of a, you know, uh, think of the dog in, in, in up squirrel. Squirrel. I was definitely getting squirreled. And I've talked to you about McFarlane's Don't Be a Jackrabbit. And you're going to get that without a McFarlane impersonation this time around. So, so, squirrel, between the, my squirrel tendencies and the Jackrabbit, I needed somebody like Mark Grunel who basically said, Rob, we've already got you scheduled for New Mutants. The whole take the bird in the hand, not two in the bush. You've got a good thing. See it through. And I hadn't even started penciling New Mutants. 86 yet i had done the annuals and i actually had i've done i had done i did an inventory story that has never been printed some of the original art most of the original art went in a, in a heritage auction al williamson and al milgram actually ended up inking it howard Mackey uh wrote it it was an inventory story again marvel was just finding work for me to keep me uh on the payroll to keep me happy um to keep me you know uh kind of kind of resting on the bench until they could put me in. Okay. And, 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 and that was their intention. And it was exactly like how they expressed it. They're like, we want to put you on something really meaningful. And, and, and Bob Harris had expressed X factor me. I turned it down. There's a longer version of that somewhere in my podcast, new mutants. I was reluctant until I, unless I could have a total makeover, which began with my introduction of cable. And obviously Marvel age would cover this by saying Rob Liefeld's cable and Rob Liefeld's new characters are coming. Uh, it, it, again, which, which always, you know, is very interesting how someone can introduce a character name, concept, everything. And then someone else gets to co-opt it because they are the beneficiary of your introducing it because they have a, a certain title on the book and they just get that. That's a, a portal that, that, that gives them entrance to, to all sorts of creative endeavors that they otherwise would not have been involved with. And I've covered that ad nauseum there's a five-part making of deadpool there's a two-part cable guy again i i i encourage you to go and check those out and uh one note about earlier podcasts the sound wasn't as good i was learning my thing i didn't know how to talk into a mic i sat too far away etc etc those early episodes i get it they're rough uh that's on me and hopefully we we've rectified that and now you can hear these podcasts uh much better but telling me to stay put and stay on the new mutants, that this was a good thing and that 
he really strongly, Mark Grunewald, and let me tell you something, it was in that office that I shared with Jim, and Jim was five feet away from me, that phone call on a, on a, a phone with a giant cord, um, we, we didn't have cell phones yet, uh, I sat and I took on my desk, and I was just so, I knew everything he was saying was right, that I should stick with the New Mutants, that it was a good gig, that they were prepared to give me, uh, you know, a lot of creative concessions, let me create, and that I should just let, uh, you know, the Young Avengers go. That it's it's our our proposal was great, but they really would rather me do the book that I was I was already committed to, and so I stayed course. I stayed the course, and that opened up again another opportunity. I think Jim was frustrated, obviously, because the Young Avengers would have been a great gig for him to write, but he was looking to write and pencil, and I think this was just a blessing in disguise because then that put his Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, in full focus and from the entire like caps shield is missing that's the quest for the shield to then i gotta be honest i mean maybe i'm getting ahead of myself here but i was sitting telling my family about the 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 entire origin of the stark and even their mouse were on the floor like oh my gosh how has that not already been featured in a movie? That that idea is so great. So if this is your first time hearing of the Stark, let me tell you something. This is an all-time amazing, fantastic concept, courtesy Jim Valentino's brilliance, his brilliant mind, his brilliant creative just process. In At the end of issue one, the Guardians of the Galaxy are introduced to the Stark, and they are a ferocious, barbaric, alien race all adorned in super high-tech armor it's a great last page it totally lands the plane of this incredible first issue after jim's already introduced you to the guardians put them through their paces per the jim shooter method of like introducing your your audience getting you comfortable with the guardians then you get this great threat at the end well in the second issue as they battle the stark you learn the origins of the stark the martians were attacking marvel in the past and that this uh this suit of armor, Tony Stark did not want his technology, his armors falling into the Martians' hands. So he put them on basically a a space capsule slash time capsule, and it rocketed away out of their um, hands, out of their grasp. He didn't want them to to come into contact with, with with this technology, and he was preserving and 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 you know uh, preserving his technology. And, and saving his secrets and hopefully, you know, limiting the damage that could be done with his technology and his secrets to Earth as the Martians are winning and invading at this time in this flashback. Uh, the space capsule, the space capsule is knocked off its trajectory and the capsule ends up landing on this primitive world with these primitive people. And they are, obviously, they open up the technology, all of it is marked as Stark on it, and they are enlightened, and it advances their evolution. And the technology is is really the 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 number as they plundered this ship and all of its tech, they became even more advanced, and uh, they made like a statue to Tony Stark to worship and, 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 and basically made him a God and fashioned the armor in, in, in the, uh, 
you know, after, after the God that gifted them this incredible technology and transformed their, their race. This race was at the beginning of its evolution. And, and so it, the, the, the capsule crashed and found them on the brink of their civilization and that the technology that they uncovered from the capsule, you know, uh, just, com- just really catapulted. That's the word I'm looking for. Catapulted them uh, towards being this really dangerous, conquering race. And now, in the future, there, and, 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 and it, it's kind of, honestly, guys, it's, I told you the Star Trek of it all, and we all have our influences. Jim Valentino would probably tell you, this is the Klingons meet the Borg, okay? And it worked. It's a home run. The fact that it's based with Tony Stark's armor and his technology on a capsule that got knocked off its trajectory that landed on this primitive planet, that these people then uh, adapted this, and because all of the stuff said Stark on it, they called themselves the Stark. This is fantastic. Like, can you imagine that? Ma- that tracks. That makes sense. That that is a that is such a good storyline. Again, that my wife and children, when I was telling them, because I was telling them what I was going to talk about, because I was so excited to talk about Jim Valentino's accomplishments. That, like, can you imagine if that was in a movie? You would the audience would be floored. The Stark. It's a great name. That's that's great creative instincts, great creative writing. Jim Valentino knocked it out of the park, and the audience came along for the ride. What people are forgetting is just how ridiculously successful the Guardians of the Galaxy was, and and that is without benefit, again, of some history of success that they were going to follow. You know, during this time, John Byrne would relaunch She-Hulk, 89-90. She-Hulk had already had a 25, 30-issue run, okay? She-Hulk was a popular character, so when John Byrne unleashed her in her own solo title again, it was that there was a basis there. She had had a solo book, okay? Ghostwriter had had a solo book. As good as the new Ghostwriter was, it had a basis. Guardians had never successfully pulled off their own showcase. They were the, the plug got pulled on them back in 1975. Maybe it made it into the first few months of 76, but it was with those Marvel Presents books, and then they were just guest stars, and they were great guest stars, and they were great characters, but they had never had the chance to shine in this approach. But the Guardians, because Jim, he saw, he saw it clicked with the readers, and he knew he could take you to all manner of cool places. The Marvel Universe of the future was the one that he would navigate you through with the Guardians of the Galaxy. Allow me to share uh, some of what Jim Jim Valentino said in his interview in the 2020 uh, issue of Back Issue Magazine. I think, what, what have we established? This is issue 119 of Back Issue Magazine. Let me read you in Jim's own words. He says, uh, as I recall, when we pitched Young Avengers uh, to Tom DeFalco, uh, <clears throat> He was just getting ready to queue up a version of the Young Avengers in the Thor issue that was yet to be released. At any rate, I wanted one more shot to pitch. I thumbed through the Marvel Universe handbook. I came across the Guardians of the Galaxy. I called up Rob. I asked him what he thought about them. And he said, you know, they look great, but they don't have a story. He said, two nights later, this is Jim Valentino, on a midnight trip to the restroom, it hit me. The shield, the exploration of the 31st century, all of it. I remember I barely had time to type it up on my old Royale typewriter and draw the cover piece before we jumped on a plane to Oakland. And what what he's referring to is, I think I had brought it up with Tom DeFalco and DeFalco said like, okay, yeah, we like the Guardians, but what's the story? So boom, here's Jim rising to the occasion. 
And so again, uh, they, they, in, in Jim's own words here, continuing on, Jim says that, uh, that Tom was surprised at the Guardians pitch as Tom DeFalco had been thinking about the Guardians uh, revving them up only 500 years in the future, so 2500 AD. He thought that they could be a galactic-wide group similar to the Green Lantern Corps. I told them, this is again Jim, Jim's own words, this is Jim speaking, I told them that I could easily set that up and did so in the first issue where Martin, uh, in issue eight, sorry, and did so in issue eight where Martin X was contemplating a galactic Guardians team. Jim goes on to say that Mark Grunwald asked for him to tell him, like give him all 100 characters in the future that he planned on depicting. And he, he felt like as much as that was busting his balls, it was, he was doing him a favor because it, it, it allowed him to, to work out so much that was necessary with him going forward with the Guardians. Jim's, Jim makes a point here that I want to share with you. I've shared it so many times, and Jim shares it here. He says it was, um, he said how important it was to give readers backstory and catch them up. He says, one of Jim Shooter's dictums that I always agreed with was that every issue was someone's first. Introduce your characters, explain your milieu, uh, exp- explain your milieu, do so succinctly and smoothly as part of the story. The Guardians were just not that well known at the time. They hadn't been published in over seven years, and it was incumbent on me to introduce who they were, where they came from, and the reality that they inhabited. So again, we both went by that exact same mantra, and I think the readership is always better off for it. And I just wanted to hear you to hear it in this back issue uh, magazine interview that Jim touches on the exact same thing. Before we wrap up this initial first part of Rise of the Guardians, what I really want everybody to know was how much fun it was every day going to work at that studio, sharing that space with, with Jim Valentino. When I, when I literally, I was sitting there going, well, what word would I use to describe that time? And I, I, this is going to shock you, but that the word that I would use, the time that I shared with Jim, that year and a half stretch, which I can account for every more, every moment is it was a very sweet time. Uh, we just had so much fun. We shared passions. Jim shared his passion of Jack Kirby, the Beatles. I mean, I, I heard so many great John and Paul stories, the Rolling Stones, Bob Dylan. Again, that, that age gap between us, I, I yearned to learn. And he was such a great teacher, such a great mentor. Taught me so much about storytelling. And I watched him improve his craft 1,000% in preparation to, to, to do this giant to take on this giant project which which was guardians of the galaxy but we would have the, uh long walks in the afternoon and uh there was a 7-eleven about four blocks down the way we would in the afternoon go get candy ding dongs sweet you know sweet tarts a soda whatever it was our, our afternoon snack walks we would talk about what was going on in the business we would talk about the upcoming movies whatever was going on you know with comics and sci-fi because that's really where our obsessions were and again we'd get back and we'd break kind of for the final stretch of his day because jim was always good at wrapping everything up about six o'clock he was he was very he by the time he had come to the office he'd already done some pre-work at home but he would get there boom and like clockwork he was a great guy to model uh you know discipline on yeah the, the, he the, the discipline that he modeled for me was was crucial for me at that time 
I had hit all my marks on Hawk and Dove, and I was watching Jim make all his marks and hit his marks, and that was crucial. Again, if I don't get my X-Men, my X-Factor, my annuals in on time, you know, there's, there's nothing. I, I, I then become a, a fill-in project guy, but that, the reason they gave me a monthly title is because I was able to hit my monthly marks, and I was able to hit my monthly marks because guys like Jim Valentino modeled it for me in person with all the jobs that he was doing, the annuals, the what-ifs, the fill-ins. And so that time was just so sweet. The time's over at his house with his family. He knows how much I love his entire family. We see, uh, although he and Diane divorced decades ago, we see Diane at uh, Diane Valentino at the Laguna uh, Arts Festival every year. When we see her, we give her a big hug. Uh, the Valentino family has nothing but love for me. All of them, all the kids, all the time that I was able to spend with them, watch them grow up, the times that we uh, shared in that studio, the creativity, the, the, the just the ideas, the the uh, the energy. I, I again in this in this interview, I said Jim and I had great energy. We did. We still do. Uh, I, I look forward to seeing him very soon, but we have only scratched the surface of all the things we're going to talk about during this time. There was also a roof. We could get up to the roof again, just a two-story building, but, um, and Jim, cause he, I don't know how many packs a day he was smoking back then. Cause he, he, he could smoke like a chimney and he'll, he'll tell you that. Um, but, but a lot of breaks, he'd have to take breaks. Sometimes I I'd always go outside with him, talk to him. It's just, I, I just wanted to get every bit of information, every bit of experience I could possibly glean from him. But a lot of times we had fun. We'd go up on the roof and just hang out in the afternoons and the early evenings before it was over. I have some incredible memories from that studio that I have yet to share on this. And we have yet to truly parse all of the success that Jim brought forth on this Guardians book because it is it is crazy. When, when In part two, we are he literally... I'm going to call it the blueprint for the kind of last 10 years of, of Marvel. And you're going to see it. It's irrefutable. It is irrefutable how influential the ideas, the concepts, the stories, the characterizations that Jim brought to the Guardians of the Galaxy and put them back, you know, on top in the process. And, and just so we are absolutely 100% clear, again, Guardians on film doesn't happen unless Jim Valentino completely uh, succeeds with this reboot. Of the Guardians in 1990 started at Oakland Comic Con at, a, at, an, at, at, an, at an A's game that neither of these guys can remember, but I can remember so perfectly, so vividly. That is where the Guardians started going, and Tom DeFalco said, You should do that. That's the one I like. Yes, let's do that. And again, Jim, boom, completely continues to advance that. And again, Jim created his showcase. He saw an opening, he went for it, he isolated the, the property. He came up with the creative direction, which was genius. Uh, get, get, you know, set this team up to be again our guide, our guide to the 31st century of Marvel, and and then would would populate it with these incredible ideas. Many of which I'm I'm gonna we're we're gonna just blow your mind with some of the direct correlations that I'm gonna be able to draw in our in our second part. But the thing that people forget is how successful Guardians of the Galaxy was. It was a top 20 Marvel book that is hard to achieve. In February of 1991, when Spider-Man number nine is number one, New Mutants 100 is number two, X-Men 275 is number four, Robin is, is number three. You keep going down the list and there it is, 27 is Guardians of the Galaxy. That's between Marvel and DC books. But if you go out of your way and you start counting, you go one, two, three, four, five, 
6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. There it is, 17, 18, 19, 20. He is a top 20 with Guardians of the Galaxy 11. Not number one, not number one with number 11. He is a top 20 Marvel comic. He is outselling. He is outselling Iron Man, the Avengers, Captain America, the regular Green Lantern, Cloak and Dagger, and and so many more. This was a giant success for Marvel. The idea that Jim was doing these kind of numbers for Marvel, doing this kind of success on a book that hadn't had its own book, a a book that hadn't had its own title, a, a concept that hadn't had its own title, and it is up against, I mean, this is a super competitive time. Todd's Spider-Man is the top seller. New Mutants 100 uh, it, it is number two. X-Men is number four. Okay? All these other super successful, the Batman books are there. Spider-Man. Jim was outselling Justice League, Superman titles, Spider-Man titles. That's how incredibly exciting the Guardians of the Galaxy stuff was. It, it was, it connected, it excited People and retailers were buying it, so we're going to wrap. Like I said, right here, uh, th- th- this this is uh, much more to this story, much more to our time at the studio. I'm going to give you some stories you're definitely going to want to hear. They're funny and uh, and 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 just g- give more of an insight. But that time and being a being a being a, a passenger, watching Jim, just those creative wheels turning, and and again. You know, it was, it was WonderCon. It was this, it's funny that neither of them mentioned this Oakland A's game. Cause again, Jim and I saw like, Hey, we can go. Tom DeFalco was the editor in chief, the decider. So, and Tom and I had had some really good, you know, discussions. Like there was a period Tom DeFalco wanted all of the new mutants and X-Force, especially the launch of X-Force. He wanted everybody in the black and yellow costumes. And I just, he, in crayon, drew over one of my cable and the New Mutants pictures. And I said, Tom, please trust me. This is not the way to go. It just, it, it, him actually handing it to me with the crayons was, was really, uh, I mean, he put some effort into trying to convince me that that is how he saw it, you know, coming into being. But Tom was uh, the guy, the editor-in-chief, the gym shooter, uh, the C.B. Sabalski, the Axel Alonso of 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 his era and success level. I mean, he greenlit me on the New Mutants. He greenlit Todd writing Spider Man, uh, also drawing Spider Man. He greenlit Jim being elevated on X Men. He greenlit Jim Valentino's Guardians of the Galaxy, which absolutely transformed that title. And again, we are going to get deep into the weeds because I haven't gone into all the crazy great characters and 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 there's so much more to this because not only did jim valentino come up with a a creative path that proved very irresistible to the readers and and these guardians of the galaxy they are in handsome uh trade paperbacks that marvel's put out in the last couple of years i've got both volumes uh so far i they are so fantastic and 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 they just looking over them Seeing Jim's dynamic layouts, his pencils, the the, the strength of the figure work, uh, the design. There's so much to go because we're gonna we're gonna bridge Guardians and then get into Shadowhawk. Uh, look, there is nothing that will shock you more than reading that your friend who is 71 has pneumonia 
And it's like, well, I may want to do that episode that I've been holding off. And, uh, and so here it is. Part two is coming. I, I am so thankful for your support and the enthusiasm you guys have given this show. I, I take time to say it because I mean it because I want you to hear it. You know, I was gone. There was no new episodes. And you, you do wonder. And the reason I'm sharing this with you is I, I think uh, we were languishing around 55, 56. And wow, the surge. And we got to top 15 in our category. And we are unequivocally for five days in for five out of seven days so far it could make it a clear seven but when i say we're the number one comic book podcast we are the number one comic book podcast all i have to, you know what it's it, i i told you this i all, all the time my my buddy john and i we got memberships at 24-hour health and fitness in 1986 we went to play racquetball and lift some weights on a saturday we got there they say we're closed they said we're you're 24 hours seven we only have to be open 24 hours one day Read your contract. It's in the fine print. We only have to be open 24 hours, one day to call ourselves, you know, 24-hour fitness. And you're like, wait, what? And uh, if we're number one, four out of seven days, and that aggregates across the year like it did last year, I'm going to share that with you because you did that. You did that for this show, and I could not be more thankful. At the very end of each and every episode, I read the reviews and the comments that you guys send into our show. Apple has the easiest interface in terms of leaving reviews, even though some people have told me that they've found it difficult. A lot of people say, I can't, I can't leave reviews for you on Spotify. So they send them to me via Messenger or uh, a DM or one of the, all, all the different manners, uh, especially when I give you the rundown of the social media outlets and I'm, I'm, I'm on the platforms and how you can reach me. This is from from a very generous uh, Power of X-Men. Power of X-Men sent this to me following our most recent episode. It says, hey, Mr. Liefeld, I wanted to send you a quick note and tell you how much I enjoy your podcast. I miss the days of walking up to the counter at a comic book store and having a thoughtful, analytical conversation about comic books and their direction. Your podcast recaptures that magic for me. I run an X-Men community and podcast, and I've been critical of the Krakoan Age. I get roasted for saying the current X-Books are just not well-written. It's baffling to me that current readers don't have standards for quality. I agree with you the X-Men need to go back to being outcast, and that the Krakoan Age should have just been a year-long event. Looking forward to the new season of your podcast. Thank you for creating an open and honest space for conversation. Conversation is the DNA of the comic book community. It is truly appreciated by us diehard fans. Thank you, Power of X-Men. That, you have no idea how much that just lifts the spirit of the guy doing the podcast. And in this, in this case, that's me. Thank you. Thank you for taking time to write that. That was several paragraphs and uh, very thoughtful. And look, we just share ideas here. I'm very, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm... I'm very protective of the X-Men franchise. I, I obviously, that has been a giant home for me. And I, I will always look at them fondly. It's where I fell in love with comics. It's where I had some of my biggest successes in comics. So, so the X-Men are very important to me. Thank you for that very thoughtful response, power of the X-Men. Uh, you guys, again, there are different ways that you can re- reach uh, uh, Send Reviews. The Apple podcast is the simplest way, is what I've been told. I've never left one myself 
so I wouldn't know. But you guys uh, can let me know and 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 maybe try it out. We love the uh, the 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 positive juice. It helps the platform. It helps us stand out. We are literally having our biggest episodes, and I am so excited. Thank you so much for all that you are contributing, for all the enthusiasm that you are bringing our way, all of you. And whenever you can leave a, a review, I, I am so appreciative of it. And I'll read it here on air at the end, at the end of every episode. So on social media, you can catch me on Twitter, probably the most X, sorry, X. I am at Robert Liefeld, R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D. I just like sharing ideas and sharing stuff on uh, I, I have fun on Twitter. I love talking to all of you. Uh, the, you know, you just never know what's going to go on with the, with, with a tweet. It's also where, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of bots out there. Why is it that everybody that wants to say something really nasty has 42 followers? Like it, it's, it's almost the bot number, the bot number. And they all kind of say the same thing and they talk the same. It's like, they have this weird, it's weird. It's super weird, but there are so many of you that I have such a good time interacting with your DMs, your replies, your comments. Follow me at Robert Liefeld on X, Twitter, formerly <laughs> the platform formerly known as Twitter. I'll be there. I'll be there waiting for you. I am also available on Instagram. I am over on Instagram. I love Instagram. I love the visual language. I love sharing uh, the stuff I'm drawing, the stuff I'm enjoying, food, uh, family, travel. So great. I just, I'm having the best uh, time just scrolling like the rest of you, checking out Instagram. Well, so much of what's coming from me in the new year is going to be shared there. And you can follow me on Instagram at Rob Liefeld, just R-O-B-L-I-E-F-E-L-D. Both the X and this have blue checks signifying I am verified. I am the real deal. I, I am not a phony account of which we, we all know that there are several nowadays. Rob Liefeld on Instagram, blue check, follow me. You'll you'll find definitely glimpses of the new stuff that should be starting to to see the light of day in the in the next few weeks here in January of 2024. That is where you're going to see some of my newest stuff. I have done so many covers and pages that are not making their way to your eyeballs because I will not share them yet, but they're they're about to be shared. Please follow me. Please look out. Uh, thank you again for your follows, your comments, your DMs, your messaging. I appreciate it all so very much. I would like for you to join us over on Facebook. I have a group, Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond. It is such a fun group. A lot of great back and forth discourse and uh, interactions. And, and we, we just go deeper on each and every subject. It's a really fun group, really smart, very fun people. We, only, we, we, we keep it positive. We keep it up with people. And we would love for you to be some of the people that we're up with over on Rob Liefeld. Marvel Extreme and Beyond. It's a group, a Facebook group. Myself and a gentleman named Terry Sala, S-A-L-A, may be uh, the administrators that click you on through. There's only two of us. That's how you know, you'll know that you're in the right place. We have art contests regularly. Terry runs them. Uh, we, we have polls that judge. People vote. Uh, we have all sorts of great topics and interaction. And I, again, I would love to see you. Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond. I'll, I'll look forward to seeing you there. It's, it's a really, really fun, fun place to hang. There is an app called Whatnot. I'm on it. Rob Liefeld, follow me. You'll get my latest notifications of when I'm going to go live with some shows. And we are about to do a lot of shows basically because the, the product is going to be in. I have a brand new book that should debut somewhere between January 21st and January 24th is, is what, what I would guess. 
and I have kept the pages away and uh, uh, you haven't seen them. And that's for good reason. I really want to kind of hit you guys with an element of surprise. I think it's going to be great. I think it's going to be fun. And I think we are going to uh, just have the very best time hanging out on whatnot. It's a great collectible app. You want trading cards. You want sports cards. You want, you want uh, Funko Pops. You want action figures, comic books, Silver Age, Bronze Age, modern stuff. You should be on whatnot. They are the leading uh, collectible app. The live shows are great. I will be looking right at you in my screen, sh- sh- sharing all the stuff that we have for you. Sign books, remark comics, sketches, original art. All of that stuff is the stuff that we have on whatnot. Please join us. You will dig it. And uh, we look forward to seeing you over there again. I'm Rob Liefeld on whatnot. And if you give me a follow, you'll get notif- notified when I put alerts that my shows are going to be on soon. Maybe I, sometimes we, we, we try and give you 24 hours advance notice. Sometimes we do some surprise drops. Anyway, get get that whatnot, whatnot app. is it's a it's it's a game changer. It really is. Oh man, I just have had such a great time. Again, my my new book that I am so excited to share with you. Uh, I'll, I'll be able to talk more about it in in just about a week, maybe over a week, and 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 share more about that. But thank you for spending time with me. I am hoping that 2024 is bringing you the very best experience so far. I hope that your mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual uh, being well-being is 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 happening right now. I hope you're in the best possible place. Spend time with your friends, your family. Read a good book. Eat great food. Eat, laugh. Uh, make time for yourself. Make time for yourself, and uh, and 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 get that you know creative juice. Get those creative juices replenished. Get those just um, you know get that fun going and 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 just uh we, we all just grind way too much and give yourself permission to take that time off get in that recliner get in that beanbag chair watch those games play those games uh watch those movies that is my wish for you i i i apply it to myself uh i was my wife showed me how much she loved me by giving me a two pound rhesus big cup it's it's enormous i'm 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 I, I, I have it in the refrigerator right now because I'm, <laughs> I'm scared. Uh, but but I, I should show shots. We are there is not a day that there is not a big cup in our house. We we replenish once a week. It is um, my must, my go to, and I'm so excited. I, I love them, and that is my happy place. I had a call that I was nervous about getting on the other day, and I'm like, you know what I need? I need the peace that this big cup is going to give me, and. Eating it and then digesting it and feeling it flow through my being is going to put me in the right state of mind. And it did. It was a great call. Oh my gosh, I have so much to share with you. It's coming. It's coming very soon. I wish for you the best. Consider this a fist bump through the blue Yeti microphone. Thank you for listening. Please don't go far. Please come back around. Swing back around. I'm going to be here. We most certainly, absolutely, and inevitably will talk again real soon. Thank you.